Well, last week we began a new series entitled Heart, Mind, and Soul, The Battle Begins. When we go through troubling times, the enemy will attack us in these three areas of our lives, our heart, our mind, and our soul. And once he has taken ground on these three fronts, he has taken control of us. And remember, we talked about even a little is way too much. Because like the old salesmen who used to knock on your door, if they can get just their foot in the door, they have your complete attention. Our heart is where our trust is built. Our mind is where tenacity will keep us strong, and our soul is where temperance will bring us peace. We must have control in all three of these fronts in order to remain victorious in our Christian lives. So last week we focused specifically on preparing for the attacks, preparing for the battle. We discovered that we have freedom, but we can't just declare our freedom like our founding fathers did over the, you know, 4th of July celebration we just had last weekend. They didn't just declare our freedom. They knew by declaring our freedom that meant war and they were going to have to fight for their freedom. Well, we have to do the same thing. We can't just declare that we're free. We have to fight for our freedom. And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we learned four promises concerning our battles. Number one, there will be battles. Number two, that God will be with us. Three, God will fight for us. And four, God will give us the victory. We finished last week by discussing our responsibility to get dressed for battle. It's the same as going into war. You wouldn't throw a soldier out there stark naked. You dress him. You teach him how to use the equipment he's given. You teach him how to use the weapons he's given. And the same is true for us. We need to get dressed for battle daily. And God's given us an entire army and all this weaponry that we can use, but we must learn about them. We must study how to use them. We must be equipped daily. And then I called our entire church to fast and pray because each one of us are going through our own battles. And not just fast to give something up and discipline your body. Sure, that's good, and it profits, like the Bible says, little physically. But to fast and pray. Replace whatever you're fasting with prayer. And stand in the gap, like I said, for our battles, for the battles of other people that we love and we know. And also pray for this church. Give myself and the leaders wisdom and creative ideas that will bring revival to Marshall. So today I want to focus on our heart, the battle for our heart. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. I learned by raising six kids that it's not just their actions that I was after as a parent. It was really their heart. Like we prayed for over the tithe and offering, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't want our money. He actually wants our heart. But the Bible says that wherever our treasure is, there's where our heart is. Or wherever our heart is, that's where we invest in, right? 
Well, it seems like the same is true as parenting. I learned that I didn't just want the kids to do what I asked them to do. I know it seems silly, but I actually wanted them to do what I want them to do. I wanted it to come from their heart. And I've learned with the last two I have in my house, and I pray every day, oh, God, help me get it right with these last two. <laughs> but I have to teach them what to even say, how to even respond when I ask them to do something. Like we were talking yesterday was chore day, and they were doing their chores, and, you know, I was starting to set their allowance out. And then I said, you know what, I, if you do such and such, um, I'll even throw in a couple extra bucks if you do that for me. And the kids are like, hmm. I said, no, the proper thing is, Mom, you don't have to give me any money. I love you so much. You take care of us. You meet every need we have. You don't have to pay. We want to do that for you, Mom. I'd love to do that for you. And they both just stood there giggling, looking at me. I said, no, seriously. I'd love to hear that come from you because then I know that that's a heart. It's not just like, okay, I'll do it. But so many times as Christians, that's how we live our life. Oh, God asked me not to do this, so I'm not going to do this. God's saying, I don't want you just to not do this or to do this. I want you to want to do this. I want you to want to not do this. That's a heart issue. That's where the battle begins is right there in our heart. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, let's look at verse 7 through 9. And I'm actually going to read this to you out of the New King James Version, just this portion of Scripture. It says, And at that time Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore... The army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But in this, but because you relied on the king of Syria instead of seeking God, you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have struggle in wars. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I ask right now that you continue to open our eyes to see your word, open our ears to hear you speaking to us, and open our hearts to receive your word and walk out your word in everything we do, God. Let our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I looked up different versions of that same scripture in that same verse 9, and it says God is looking for those whose heart is loyal to him, whose heart is fully committed to him, whose heart is blameless towards him. And one version even said God is looking for those whose heart is completely his. So we can ascertain from the scripture that God will show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal, committed, blameless, and completely his. But he will also leave us to fight our own battles when our hearts are not loyal, 
committed, blameless, and completely his. So that brings me to today's point. Today's point is my heart must be completely God's or my battles will be completely mine. My heart must be completely God's or my battles will be completely mine. So what's so important about our heart? Oh my goodness, there was scripture and scripture and scripture and I had to keep cutting it back and cutting it back cutting it back. And I think the, the one that says the most would be where Jesus spoke directly to his disciples in Mark chapter 7. So if you would turn over to Mark chapter 7, or if you have the electronic version like I do, you version, you just push one little button. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was teaching his disciples a very important point. He actually called the whole crowd of people over to himself, and he said, all of you listen to me and try to understand what I'm about to say. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples crowded around him and said, What were you talking about? In verse 18, he says, Don't you understand this? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through your stomach and then out to the sewer it goes. And then he said in verse 20, It is is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from your heart. They are what defile you. It's in our hearts that our actions are determined. The battle for our heart will determine our ability to walk as God has commanded us, to walk in faith, to fulfill the Great Commission. Over and over again, Jesus was teaching his disciples that it's your heart. It's your heart that matters. Jesus, when teaching his disciples, repeatedly pointed out that their inability to even understand the miracles that were happening around them was a heart issue. In Mark chapter 6, he said, for they still didn't understand. He had just fed all these people. And he said, you still don't understand the significance of this miracle because your hearts are too hard. He was saying this to the disciples. He said it again to them after he fed more people the same miracle. And in Mark chapter 8, he said, At this they began to argue with themselves. They're in the boat. They just witnessed a great miracle, feeding again of all these people with a couple loaves of bread. And they started looking around and said, You know what? We forgot to even bring bread with us. How are we going to eat? They were actually worried about how they were going to eat when they were with the one that just performed that great miracle. Twice, sorry. 
And at this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts still too hard to take it in? It's a heart issue. We can't understand how God moves. We can't even begin to walk the way he's asked us to walk or do the things he's asked us to do or not do until we understand the battle for our heart. So let's break it down right now. It's our heart is where love is born. Love is born in our heart. First, it begins to experience a fluttering emotion. Then as more and more life is breathed into it, this heartfelt emotion, love begins to grow. Emotions will come and go, but love was created to last. And it lasts because of the time that's put into it. See, I tell people all the time, if you're not working on your marriage, your marriage won't work. Love can be an emotion that can last a while. It's that fluttering. You think it's okay. Everything's all right. But for it to last, you have to work on it. You have to invest in it. You have to spend time in it. You can't, you can't say, I do at the altar and walk away and never spend another minute with that person. Never say, I love you again to that person. You have to spend time. There's investment in love, but love begins there in the heart. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. Love is more than just a feeling. It's an investment of time, energy, commitment. It's, it's, it's a work in progress that is designed to last forever. Ever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're actually, it's described to us what true love really is. And until we're living in that true love, we're not truly living in love. We're living in a feeling. And maybe your Christian walk is, hasn't moved over to that true love yet. You need to start investing in it. You need to start working on it. You need to start spending time in it. The true love that's explained to us is it's patient, it's kind. It's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud. It's not rude, it does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. If you have a relationship with God that is determined by your circumstances, then it's not true love. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. You haven't spent enough time in it to develop a love relationship with God. 
because it says right here that it's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. It never loses faith. I was listening to a podcast this week, and I told my husband, I said, well, as I shut my iPad off, I said, well, I just got beat up over that one. The pastor I was listening to said, you're a hypocrite. And I thought, hmm. And I got a little bit closer to the iPad. I'm like, what's he talking about? I'm a hypocrite. He says, you're a hypocrite if you base your faith on your circumstances. If you're okay, if, let me say it this way. Somebody comes to you and I, I'm sure I'm looking at all of you. I'm sure every one of you have done this. Somebody comes to you and says, I'm going through such and such problem. I was just diagnosed. I was just whatever. My husband, my wife, whatever. It's the first thing you say, I am so sorry. That's horrible. I'll pray for you. And really, if we're really spiritual, we'll pray for him right then. You can, and we give them these encouraging words. Don't lose hope. Trust God. He's with you. He's strong. He's mighty. You can do this. You can make it through. But what happens when something like that happens to us? God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? What's going on? Why isn't this working? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. That's one thing I, I, I work so hard at is being the same wherever I am and I'm true inside and out and you don't have to think that I'm ever putting on a front or wearing a mask. I, I work so hard at being the same wherever I am. So when he called me a hypocrite, I'm like, no, I'm not. But when he explained it, I'm like, wow, I am. I am. And I want to talk to you today. It has to do with your heart. Because you can go through things. When Brian and I was first married 25 years ago, we'd go through things, and it was like divorce was right there on our tongue. <laughs> it's like, fine, hey, whoop, hey, whatever. Oh, well, okay, you know. But over time, over time, and investment, and work, and sweat, and tears, and blood. It's not. It's not an option. Love is supposed to last. But it takes time. I remember my mom's advice on the way to the church to get married. I remember I started, and I sweating, and was riding in that truck, and mom's driving, and I said, Mom, you got to stop. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't think I can do this. I, I, I just, I don't, think, I don't think this is happening. And I remember she never slowed down. As a matter of fact, I think she sped up a little bit. She goes, you know what? I don't care if you don't think you love him now. You'll learn to love him. I said, what? She goes, love isn't about a, a fluttering feeling that you get and it will come and go. That won't keep you in marriage. Love will last if you last in love. And that's what it means to love the Lord. It's not, okay, I'm going to try you out, God, for a couple days and see what you can do for me. That's selfishness. That's not described here in, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says it's not self-seeking. It does not demand its own way. It gives, it gives, it believes, it trusts, no matter what the circumstance Love is meant to last, but it is an investment. But your heart is what God wants. 
Your heart is what matters. Your heart is what defiles you. Your heart is what defines you. Your heart is where trust is built, and with love comes trust. With trust is love. It goes hand in hand. Over the years, yes, I know, over the years, loving someone, even God, you're going to be faced with a crisis and a choice. Something's going to happen, and a choice has to be made. So this, fill in the blank, something happened. Your choice is, are you going to trust him if it happens again? Are you going to trust him no matter if it happens again or if it doesn't happen again? Trust is the key that unlocks the deep well of true love. You have to have trust in order to experience that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 true love. Do you trust God? When you can trust him, it's like a key that unlocks that love that you can walk in and you can receive. And the trust and the love has to come this way between each other before it can ever really be experienced this way between you and God. It's got to be horizontal before it can become vertical. Love and trust sometimes can be broken in us, in our own heart, and it keeps us from loving and trusting people. And when we can't love and trust people, we can't love and trust God. And let me just, let me just back up a minute. I don't really like psychiatrists because they always want to blame it on the mom. Or blame it on the dad, but mostly blame it on the mom. And so when I was a troubled young teen, the first thing, of course, people would say to me is, you need to go to a psychiatrist, you know. You need to lay on the couch. And I visited a couple of them. But the first thing all of them asked me was, tell me about your mom. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your mom. So when I became a Christian and walking and this issue would rise up and this issue, and they're like, oh, Brenda, you need to go see a counselor. And I'm like, okay, counselor, you know, psychiatrist. I already have a bad taste in my mouth for a counselor. And I thought, well, okay. So I went and sat down, talked with this counselor. And it wasn't too long in the conversation. It's like, tell me about your your family. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of close. Okay. So I'll tell you about my family. And your mother, how's your relationship with your mother? I'm thinking, why is it always blamed on the mother? But there is some truth into looking back at your past in order to discern your paradox, your, your paradigm, your, what you live in now. 
It's not because, well, I can blame it on. They're not trying to blame it on. I'm not trying to blame what you do and how you trust and how you love now because of. But there could be an issue. There could have been an event in your life that's hurt you, stunted your growth, and stunted your ability to love and trust. And that's a heart issue that God wants to dig out. And I was listening to uh, a pastor this week wasn't even part of his message, and all of a sudden he started sharing about how um, in his fathering of 11 children, I think he said, he can't open up. He said, I really want to love them like I know they should be loved, but I always feel myself backing up a little bit. He goes, I love them, but I just don't, I don't feel emotionally attached like their mother is. And he knew that that was wrong. He's a Christian. He's a, you know, a godly man, and he wants to be able to love, but he says there must be something. And the counselor that he sat down with says, tell me about your family life growing up. He said, and the same thing. He said, I didn't want to tell her because I thought that has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. But the minute he said I started saying that, this one scene played out in my mind when I was 10 years old. And I had a neighborhood bully, constantly picked on us, picked on me. He said, and I finally decided one day at 10 years old I was going to stand up to this bully. So he shouted something back to him. He said he couldn't even remember what he shouted. But the scene playing out in his mind is the bully, he caught the bully's attention. He turned to him, and he started chasing him. He said, I knew. He said, I ran as fast as I could. I knew if I could just get to that sliding glass door in the backyard, fling that open, shut it and lock it, I'd be safe, and at least I stood up to the bully. He said, and as I hit my backyard running up, he goes, I saw my dad standing at the sliding glass door, and he grabbed a hold of the handle, pulled it shut, and he said, I heard the click. As my dad, he said, my dad saw me running, and the bully right behind me, he said, in the minute he did lock that, he said, I stopped in my tracks. The bully overtook me, beat me senseless, then got up, laughed, and walked away. He said, and as I got up and looked at my dad still standing there, the sliding glass door watching, he said, my dad opened the door and said, well, that will teach you, and walked away. He said, it was that minute I realized I'll never trust anybody again. But see, when we're growing up, when we're living our life, there's moments in our past that stun us, hurt us, and actually redirect our ability to love like we're supposed to love or trust like we're supposed to love. And God, because he's so interested in our heart, because that's where everything starts, wants to heal those past hurts, those wounds, those events that have happened, but we have to give it to him. When we marry an individual, it is literally a picture of us taking our heart out and handing it to the other person, trusting them enough to take the entire heart. And God said, I want you to trust me with your entire heart. That love relationship. But see, nowadays people get married with the, I like you. As a matter of fact, I like you more than anybody else right now. So I'll marry you until you hurt me. Then I'm done with you. I need you to know, 
through this series that there will be battles. The biggest battle will be for your heart. So you are going to get hurt. But God said, you can trust me. You can trust me. When we go into surgery, do we go into surgery to get hurt? We go into surgery to heal the hurt, to fix the hurt. The surgery's going to hurt. God said, if you trust me with your heart, it might hurt as I try to fix it for you. But trust me. And trust will unlock that deep well of love. Now, I don't have time to read this, but I want you to write this down. Psalm 32 explains, explains how God in his unfailing love surrounds those who trust him. In verses 10 and 11, it says, Many sorrows come, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad all who obey him. Shout for joy all you whose hearts are his. And our heart is where commitment is kept. So our heart is where love begins. Our heart is where trust is developed, is built. And our heart is where commitment is kept. Repeating our choice to trust and love over time will cement a commitment that cannot be broken. Like I said earlier, Brian and I, 25 years. Our choice, because love is a choice, to continue to love and continue to trust builds a commitment that will be cemented. Your love and your trust for God over time, continuing to choose to trust, continuing to choose to love, will cement a commitment with him that cannot be moved. I am so utterly in love with God that I can trust him whether I understand what he's doing or not. I'll tell you, that's one of the things. I couldn't stand it. And I, I try not to say it to my kids when my parents would ask me to do something or tell me that we're going to do something, and I would say, or I would ask, why? And they would try to explain, but there's sometimes where they just couldn't explain or didn't want to explain, and they'd say, just trust me. Just do what I say, just trust me. I hated that. Yeah, I love my parents. I can trust them. But I always wanted to know why. Why? My dad used to let me take VCRs. Yeah, that's those big things like about this and eight tracks, players, and take them downstairs. And he gave me my own little workstation and tear them apart because it bugged me that I didn't know what was inside those things. Old TVs, they were down in there because he had let me tear them all apart and look at them all over. For one Christmas was the coolest thing. He bought me one of those build-it-yourself radios. Way back in the day, remember those? And soldering the little wire. Yeah, James is still too young at. How old were you on your birthday Friday? 30? 30? You just going to stick with that one? Yeah. But they used to have these little radios that you could build them yourself at Radio Shack. He bought me this little thing, and I loved it. I still struggle with that one. But over time, loving God, trusting him, loving him and trusting him is a commitment that I know I can always trust him whether I know the answer or not. 
Here's some common heart issues. I've heard these said, and there was a whole big list of them. I tried to narrow it down to just three. The first one is, if God really loved me, why am I going through this? Why did this happen? Right? Heart issue. Have you ever tried to teach your child a lesson they didn't understand? Have you ever kept your child from something they wanted knowing it was not the best for them? Have you ever had to discipline your child for wrong behavior? When we think God's love is contingent upon our feelings of happiness, we lose our trust in him. And love without trust is not a love that will last. You can't say God loves me only when this is happening or that's happening. You can't say God must not love me if this is happening or that's happening. God's love is not contingent upon you, your circumstances, your situation, nothing. God's love is unfailing. It's an agape love that is without condition. Another common heart issue is God doesn't care if I do this or that thing as long as I keep from breaking the, well, that big ten. The Ten Commandments. He doesn't care. God doesn't care. Remember, our actions are determined in the heart. So it's a heart issue. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to wipe away the Big Ten. He came to accomplish its purpose. And then he went through something very unique. When somebody always says, as long as I, I don't break those top ten, I like to start a conversation to ask them, oh, okay, so you keep the Big Ten? You know, when Jesus talked about the Big Ten when he came, and he came to accomplish its purpose, he said, yeah, one of them says do not murder. But he says, well, I say now that I've come. If you're even angry with somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. So you've never been angry with anybody? Oh, so you say as long as I don't commit adultery, I'm okay. Well, Jesus said, again, if you even lust after someone, you've already committed adultery with them. So yes, our actions are determined first in our heart. He's trying to say it's not just your actions, it's a heart issue. If you deal with the heart, your actions will follow. The third common heart issue this one I hear, I hear most from Christians. Oh, but God knows my heart. Ah, God knows my heart. Yes, he does, and that should scare hell out of you. It should literally instill such a holy fear that you should tremble. Yes, he knows your heart. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 23, it says, for the Lord sees every heart. He knows every plan. He knows every thought. Yeah, he knows your heart. When someone says that to you, you should, you should really, I mean, seriously, look at them. Do you understand what you're saying? Yes. God knows your heart. You can fool me, but God knows your heart. And next week, we're gonna, when we talk about the mind, he even knows your thoughts. Jesus, over and over and over again, said, knowing what they were thinking, said, blah, blah, blah. 
perceiving what they were thinking, he did, he said, yes, God knows your heart. That should scare you. Holy fear should come over you. Oh, Lord, help me. Yes, he knows your thought. So, again, today's main point is my heart must be completely God's or my battle will be completely mine. So here's our application for today. I want you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to take out a pen. I want you to write down some things that you're going to begin doing today, begin doing this week, and don't just do them for a little while and then stop doing them. Again, for love to be true love, it's got to be done over time. It's an investment. It's commitment. It's sweat, blood. I think I've got a tablet right there. A blank tablet if you want to rip some sheets off. Yeah. If you need a piece of paper, Brian will hand you a piece of paper. I think he's got a box of pens. Yep, he's got a box of pens even. I want you to write down, in order for my heart, I'll wait till everybody has a piece of paper and a pen. You've got your pen and piece of paper? This message doesn't apply to you? You're, oh, Terry's got, yeah, she's got her journal. She's super Christian. You know you get an extra star by your name in heaven when you journal at every message. So, you know, you should bring your own journal to take notes at every message. I have to do it just because my mind's going. And I can leave a message, leave a sermon, leave a church service, walk away and think, what were we just talking about? That's why I write things down. It's not for the extra star. Seriously, you're not going to get an extra star. Sorry. Huh? No. You're, you're like me. You've got to. You're diligent. You're committed. I only judge those who don't take notes. No, I don't. So take out this piece of paper, this pen. I want you to write down, in order for my heart to be, in order for my heart to be loyal, committed, blameless, and completely his, I must dot, dot, dot. In order for my heart to be loyal, committed, blameless, and completely his, I must, and begin filling in the blank right here. Here's your application. Here's the altar call. Start writing down some things you need to do. You're going to start doing today tomorrow, this week, and continue doing over the years. And as you go back to the piece of paper, you're going to start adding more things because you didn't even realize, wow, my love gets even more intense when I fill in the blank. If you need help getting started, think about an earthly relationship. Again, remember, it has to go horizontally first before it can be understood vertically. So how would you begin? How your true love, your first love, what are some things you did to kindle that love? 
spending time with them, talking with them, writing love letters to them, reading their love letters and rereading their love letters and rereading their, which by the way, the Bible is God's love letter to you. I have not met someone who's newly in love that doesn't want to talk about that other one all the time. All the time. As a matter of fact, you, I, I, I've stopped people and said, you know, do you do anything else besides spend time with that person? Can you talk about anything else but that person? And usually I get the little giddy, ah, no. That's how we should be with God. We should be so in love with God that we just can't help but talk about him all the time and defend him. When you're in love with somebody, you defend them. You stand up for them. You don't let people talk about them. It's not funny when they bring up jokes. Oh, it's nothing. It's just, it's just, ha, 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 it's just funny. It's not funny when they're talking about the one you love, is it? Write down things. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to keep doing that's going to keep building this love? Because remember, love begins in the heart. But in the heart begins all your actions. Everything starts from the heart. Kevin, if you'd come back up and just, just play that song you played there at the end about knowing God's heart. I want to know your heart, God. I want to know your heart. That's a good prayer. I always pray, God, fill me with your love for others. Because this individual, this human, is incapable of loving people the way I'm supposed to, the way God wants me to. So I pray, God, give me your heart. God, teach me your ways. God, pour your love in me, to me, and through me. So I have a real hard time with loving myself. And God says we must love others as we love ourselves. So I have to ask God, and remember, everything, I mean, every time I open up the Bible, I'm finding something else that's pointing right back to my heart. It starts there. It starts there. It starts there. So the battle for your heart is number one. When we look at this battle field, there's nothing greater than your heart. God wants your heart. Even in salvation, when he first woos you to him, by his Holy Spirit, he starts drawing you to him. It's that fluttering emotion that, God, I, I want to love you. I want to trust you. I want to get I I think that's what I want to do. And you start to open up your heart a little bit to God. And God starts saying, trust me. Trust me. He doesn't want your actions. He doesn't want your sacrifices. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He wants your heart, obedience, and a willingness to love him, to want to love him. And he'll give his love. It unlocks, that trust unlocks. And even in salvation, he draws your heart to him. 
He doesn't say, wait till you get all cleaned up, then come see me. He pulls us right out of the pit, soaking and drenched in mud and slime of the world, and he kisses us and starts cleaning us off and giving us his love and giving us the ability to truly love. It's a heart. We've got to open up our hearts and allow him to be the surgeon, to cut away, to fix the things that have hurt us in the past. So I just want to pray for you right now. God, I ask that you do that right now. God, as we sit here today, we just open ourselves up. And God, we just hold out our heart to you. And ask, Lord, that you do. You just be the surgeon. And cut away those things, those hard parts of our heart that we've chosen from past hurts and experience that we're never going to let anybody have that again in our life or, or be that again in our life. And you want to cut those things away. Your word even says you want to replace our stone-cold heart with a heart of flesh. So, Lord, even some of us here sitting today, sitting here today have had so much hurt and so much things, so many things happen to us, Lord, that we've actually calloused our entire heart and, and our heart has become cold. And, God, we ask right now, we trust you enough to open ourselves up, to remove that cold heart, Give us a heart that you would have for us to have. A heart that beats hard after you. That can love again. That can trust again the way we're supposed to. That can love you and trust you. And be committed to you. Cut away those things. And God, we ask that you search our heart even. Those very hidden things in our heart, God, search them out. Bring them to our attention. God, and if there's an event in our past, God, put your finger on it. Bring it back to our remembrance that it can be dealt with. It can be forgiven. It can be let go. And it can be covered by your love that it won't stunt our ability to love others any longer. It won't stunt our ability to trust others, to love you and to trust you like we're supposed to, like we're designed to, like we're created to. Help us to know your heart like you know our heart. And teach us to guard our heart in this battle for our heart. God, teach us to guard it, to not let anything in. And God, as things start to try to well up in our heart, an anger or a hurt or an offense or, or anything, Lord, help us to guard against it and be quick to fight, to keep our heart pure before you completely loyal to you, completely committed to you, 
completely yours. If you're sitting here today and you haven't made that commitment, that commitment to let God into your heart, to let him have your heart, to turn over your heart and let it be completely his, today can be your day to do that. And it's just a relationship begun between you and God, not a religion, not something that you just recite and think it's there, it's done, it's over, but it's a relationship that's built, that's begun, that's invested in, that grows over time. And it starts with just a commitment. You hand in your heart over to God. Here it is, Lord. It's yours, completely yours. Forgive me for holding so tightly onto this heart. Let it become your home. Come and live in me. Teach me how to love, how to trust. Guard your heart daily. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting. Psalms 139. Lead me. God, lead me. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Think about it this way. How can you truly love God if you can't love those you see? How can you trust God if you can't trust those you're with? How can you commit to God when you can't keep your commitments to those around you? See, your heart is where these actions begin. Let God have your heart. Let God have your heart. God, I just pray as we go today that you would continue to just stir within us that love that will last. Have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, our souls. In everything we do, God, let it glorify and be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Keep looking back at that paper and keep adding to it. Remember, it's a commitment to keep investing in your relationship. Let God have your heart.